Welcome to Flash Forward. I'm Rose and I'm your host. Flash Forward is a podcast about the future. Every week we take on a specific possible or not so possible future scenario. Every episode starts with a little trip to the future before we teleport back to now to talk to experts about how that future might really go down. Got it? Great. Let's start this week in the year 2044. Hello and welcome to the United States Animal Welfare Task Force Hotline. All calls are toll-free and strictly confidential. To hear about the new rules and regulations surrounding domesticated animals, press 1. To report an animal welfare violation, press 2. To file a report about birds, press 1. To file a report about cats, press 2. To file a report about dogs, press 3. Please select the type of report you would like to file. If someone is breeding dogs, press 1. If someone is selling dogs, press 2. If someone is distributing material about how to breed or sell dogs, press 3. If someone is keeping one or more dogs as pets, press 4. Please leave your message with as much detail as possible about the violation you would like to report. Keeping pets of any kind is against the Emergency Animal Welfare Act. All calls are strictly confidential. Remember, if you see something, say something. Okay, so in this future, pets are outlawed. We are not allowed to keep dogs, cats, fish, birds, bunnies, none of it. And this might seem like a really outlandish idea. Who really wants us to stop having pets? Well, it turns out this is actually something that some people currently do advocate for. Animal advocates believe, you know, animals should be allowed to act out their natural instincts, and that does not mean living in a house, um, living in a cage, living in a pen, and having to follow you know, human rules, you know, get off the couch, get off the table and, you know, don't eat that, eat this. That's Doris Lynn. And I'm the uh, assistant director of legal affairs for the Animal Animal Protection League of New Jersey. Doris's job is to defend animals and the people who are trying to help them. And uh, I just had a case last week where a woman had rescued two baby squirrels and she could not find a wildlife rehabber to take the squirrels. So she took care of them herself. And the next thing she knew, the Division of Fish and Wildlife confiscated the squirrels and sent her a citation uh, for uh, possession of a game animal without a permit. So there was a, a lot of uh, publicity surrounding the squirrel case, and I defended her, and uh, we got the charge dismissed. What happened to the squirrels? Oh, well, that's the next step. We're trying to find out. Right now, pets are considered property in the eyes of the law. Yeah, your, your pet dog, your pet cat, even though you consider that dog or cat to be a member of the family, the law views that dog or cat just like a table or a lamp. What this means is that if your neighbor comes over and kills your dog, it's not like he's come over and killed a member of your family. It's more like he's come over and broken some prize antique. So if you're, for example, if your neighbor killed your dog, uh, you'd be able to sue the neighbor for the fair market value of your dog, which is probably nothing. Um, even if your dog is, you know, a champion purebred, you know, the, the dog might be only worth, you know, a couple thousand bucks. Now, there is one added layer on top of this, which is animal cruelty laws. So your evil neighbor who has come over and killed your dog will probably have to deal with more than just property damage. So your neighbor would be facing uh, hopefully some, you know, uh, criminal charges. But 
Beyond that, because pets are considered property, there can be some strange legal situations. People have gotten into custody disputes, like in divorces, you know, over a dog. And for the most part, courts will not recognize any kind of visitation rights or, you know, visitation arrangement that you might try to set up with your dog um, in the case of a divorce, because you wouldn't set up visitation with, you know, a table or a piano or, you know, anything else like that. And this is all really new. Not that long ago, animals weren't even considered property. They were lower than that, less valuable than your toaster. Somebody could steal your pet or kill your pet and nothing would happen to them. That's David Grimm. He's the online news editor of the magazine Science and the author of a book called Citizen Canine, Our Evolving Relationship with Cats and Dogs. In the book, David explains that the way we think about animals has totally changed over the past century or so. We've had custody cases where people have fought over the custody of their cats and dogs during divorce proceedings. Uh, cats and dogs can inherit money now uh, as of uh, the last uh, decade or so. Um, and as I write in the book, there's actually been a few recent court cases where dogs have actually been given their own lawyers. Economically, socially, emotionally, culturally, you know, the relationship we have with these animals, they've, they've sort of become almost like citizens in our society. They just become so important in our homes. One of the reasons for this change is that we're slowly learning more and more about the inner lives of our pets. So yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it was sort of the case before that a lot of animals were a black box to us and we just sort of assumed, well, they're, they're probably just not that smart. They're just animals. And what we find is as we study all these animals, we discover all of these surprising things that we just really didn't, uh, didn't anticipate. Today, studies show that dogs can actually understand pointing. So if we point at something, the dog knows that we are trying to get them to pay attention to that thing. Cats might be able to do the same thing, but they're harder to study because they don't care about your stupid experiment. Now, that pointing thing might not seem like that big of a deal. It doesn't seem that hard. But chimpanzees, our closest living relative, can't do that. Now, it might seem surprising that a dog can do something that a chimpanzee can't do, but remember, dogs and cats have evolved with humans for a long time. In fact, dogs were the very first thing we ever domesticated, and we don't know exactly when it happened, but it was probably probably 20, 30,000 plus years ago. Um, and so dogs have been with us with, with for a really long time, so long, in fact, that there's something that we sort of co-evolved with dogs a little bit, that we sort of acquired some traits and they acquired some traits just from the two of us sort of cohabitating uh, for so long together. And cats, it's been about 10,000 years, which is still a really long time. The more researchers investigate the intelligence of dogs and cats and birds and rabbits and the like, the more they realize that those animals have a lot going on, which sort of complicates one of the arguments about animals and the ethical quandaries that they might entail. Now, there's been a lot said about orcas and dolphins and whether it's ethical to keep them in a place like SeaWorld. And we worry about that in part because we know that those are smart animals. But if we're making decisions about which pets we should keep and which ones we shouldn't just based on how smart they are, where do we draw the line on that? Are fish dumb enough to be pets? What about spiders and snakes? Well, science can't really answer that question. Scientists don't like to compare one animal's intelligence to another, so you can't validly scientifically say, you know, cats are smarter than dogs, or dogs are smarter than cats, or dogs are smarter than chimpanzees. But, um, but what we can say is, you know, within a species, we can sort of figure out what an animal's talents are. 
And Doris says that intelligence isn't the thing that she worries about with animals. It's suffering. You know, I think actually the lizards and spiders and fish suffer more because they are so much more difficult to take care of. I mean, a mammal lives in your house and they're comfortable in your house, but a lizard, a spider, a fish lives in a little tank, a little bowl, and they're so fragile, you know, they're cold-blooded, and it's much harder to keep them alive for their, you know, what would normally be their natural lifespan. I mean, people consider goldfish disposable. You know, the goldfish dies, you go out, you buy another one, and, you know, who cares if they normally live, you know, 10 or 15 years? Now, Doris believes that animals should be, as she said, allowed to act out their natural instincts, whatever that means. But she also wants to be very clear about something. She's not about to show up at your door and confiscate your animals. I think it's important for people to understand that animal rights activists do not want to take their cats and dogs away. We're not trying to, you know, separate Fluffy and Fido from from your, you know, good home. I mean, Doris herself has pets. I do. We have uh, two rescued rabbits and two rescued guinea pigs. And I'm also fostering a rabbit right now. Our two rabbits are a bonded pair. So they're very into each other. Um, And, you know, rabbits have different personalities, just like people do. Some are more friendly and some, you know, keep to themselves. We have one rabbit who's very friendly, who loves to be pet. And the other one just wants nothing to do with us. So she's not leading some kind of anti-pet brigade armed with cages and treats to lure your animals away from you and take them to some terrible place. This is not a Disney movie. Instead, she's hoping that slowly but surely people stop breeding new pets. So the total pool of pets stops growing. And the only pets that do exist for those who want them are ones in shelters or who have been rescued in some way. And then eventually, all of those will be adopted and live their full, happy lives and die. Now, the ultimate endpoint here is still a world without pets. Absolutely. I I think we should be moving in that direction. Um, I know it's going to be hard for society to give up the idea of having pets. Which, even to Doris, is pretty hard to imagine. But I, I think that is so far into the future. I don't think anyone is seriously proposing, you know, a bill against breeding dogs or cats. So how would we get there? Is it totally impossible? After the break, we're going to talk about all of the ways that this might or might not happen. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. So this week, we've been talking about pets and a future in which we no longer have them which, even for folks like Doris, who actually advocates for the end of pets, is a really hard future to imagine. But that is the point of this show, so we are going to try anyway. Here are a couple of ways that this might happen. There is the gradual approach that we talked about earlier, where we ban the breeding of new pets, and eventually, after all of the currently existing pets die, there just aren't any more. But humans seem to have a pretty strong desire and knack for domesticating animals. In fact, we might have domesticated cats twice in our history. So it's possible after slowly phasing out all of the pets that we currently have, we just domesticate some different ones. Certainly in the future, there would be robotic pets. And we also have we have something like that now um, with these little these little robots <laughs> that act as pets. And a lot of people have virtual pets on their, you know, smartphones or tablets. Um, but of course, that doesn't take the place of, you know, something furry and warm who sits in your lap. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe the domestication process would start all over again with uh 
you know, animals who are curious and come up to us in the wild, you know, who knows, maybe squirrels will be (laughs) pets in the future. But there's another gradual version of this story that David suggested. It doesn't really mean the elimination of pets, but it might be a big change in how we think about them. David points to a parallel in zoos. You know, we've seen sort of this with zoos where, you know, 100 years ago, you had a lion in a five by five foot cage or whatever, a 10 by 10 foot cage, and everybody was perfectly fine with that, you know? Um, And then as we've sort of become, I think, more empathetic as a society and sort of more attuned to the thoughts and feelings of animals, we've really rejected that. And so what you've seen is a lot of zoos, you know, really adopt these larger enclosures. And and especially you see things like SeaWorld, where people are really up in arms about orcas in captivity, them living in kind of these relatively small environments and people fighting for these animals to be released from from captivity um, or chimpanzees in research labs. So it's possible that as we learn more and more about our dogs and cats and what they need and how they think, we might realize that the way that we're keeping them is wrong and that we can only really ethically keep a dog, say, if we have a huge plot of land for it to run around on and a pack of other dogs for it to hang out with, which wouldn't eliminate pets, but it would make them much more unusual. All right, but what if we went the legal route? There are some people today who advocate for a change in the legal status of pets from property to people, which on its face might sound like a good thing. Pets would get more protections and be seen in the eyes of the law a little bit more like we tend to see them in our own families. The choices we have now, at least legally, is either your cat or dog is a toaster or your cat or dog is a person. And I think given those choices, most people would say my cat or dog is a person. I certainly treat them much more like a person than I do like a toaster. But if you think about this proposal for a little bit longer and all of the weird things that might happen if pets became legally people, it starts to get a little bit absurd. You could imagine if your dog was a person and say, um, you know, some, you know, some guidelines came out that say you should walk your dog three times a day and say you only had time to walk your dog twice a day. You know, could some animal protection agency come to your house and say, well, you're an unfit guardian, you know, because you're not walking your dog as much as you should and the dog's not getting exercise and that's bad for your dog and we're going to take your dog away, just like Child Protective Services might take your uh, take your child away. Or say you took your cat in for, uh, to the checkup for the vet and the vet said, well, your cat's got a tumor. It's going to, you know, your cat's going to need chemotherapy. It's going to be $5,000. And you say, well, I can't afford that. Um, you know, just put the cat to sleep. And the vet says, well, um, you can't do that because this cat is now a person and you can't just put a person to sleep. It violates the cat's rights, you know, (laughs) um, or could you not spay and neuter your pets anymore? Because, you know, you would sort of be violating their, their bodily rights. So if the folks who want legal personhood for pets get their way, it might actually become really difficult and expensive to own a pet. It might just become too onerous to own them. It all of a sudden became too expensive or there were just too many regulations in having pets, then there would be a big disincentive, I think, to getting them. And that could drive down the number of pets. But again, it wouldn't really get rid of them entirely. To really, truly get rid of pets, we have to get a little bit more extreme. So, what if there was a horrible disease that was spreading across the globe, and it was carried by cats and dogs, and it infected and killed humans, and the only way to stop it was to eliminate cats and dogs? 
This sounds really improbable, and it is, but there is a historical precedent for something kind of like this. When the plague started going around the Middle Ages, people blamed cats and dogs for transmitting the disease. Pope Gregory IX actually linked cats to Satan. People saw dogs and cats as plague bearers, and they actually killed a lot of them. So what if something similar happened? Would we be able to kill our own pets? David says he doesn't think so. I've thought about that, too. I'm like, like you know, you know, if there was like some virus that was spreading in cats that was really like lethal to humans and the government said, like, you have to kill if you've got a cat, you have to, like, take them to the vet right now and have them euthanized. We just can't afford to have like I just really feel like I would be the guy that, like, you know, put the cats and put our cats in our basement and just like, you know, stow them away. Because like, I, for me, I say, you know, for us, you know, even though we have human children, I mean, our cats are like our children. Like, I can't imagine a scenario where I would voluntarily, you know, kill my cats, you know, even if, uh, to be honest, even if I thought it was for the greater good, like, I just, I don't, I think I would have a really hard time with that. And there's some good evidence that David is not alone. A 2015 Harris poll showed that 95% of pet owners in the United States consider their pets members of their family. During Hurricane Katrina, some people decided to stay behind with their pets when they were told that the rescue boats would only take human passengers. And some of those people died. So even if there was some kind of terrible disease being spread by pets, it might not actually be enough to make us get rid of them. Okay, so what if a maniacal dictator took over the world and unilaterally banned pets? Enforced by local armies, pets are illegal, and if you are caught with one, you are arrested. David says that his answer is actually the same. You know, I think in any of those scenarios, and I I hate to be the naysayer here, but I I think in any of those scenarios, whether it's a dictator or or a virus uh, or, or whatever, you just substitute cats and dogs for children. A dictator comes to the U.S. and says, you have to kill all of your children. You know, a virus is spreading around the world that is uh, that we know children transmit, and we know if we just killed all of our children, then the virus would go away. You know, and as you know, and some people might balk at that comparison, but we know we know that the you know a vast number of pet owners think about their their pets the same way they think about their children, and so I think any scenario where an outside force is basically saying you have to get rid of your pets, you have to kill your pets. A lot of those pet, a lot of those owners, and in fact, I would, I would bet on a majority of those owners, uh, substituting the word, you know, pet uh, for child and saying no way in hell. What it might take to really, really, really get rid of pets is actually a different kind of virus, one that sweeps through and directly kills dogs and cats. Because we just would never do it. What do you think? Do you have pets? What would it take for you to give up your animals? Or to commit to never owning another one? Tell us. Leave us a voicemail at 347-927-1425. Or send us a voice memo to info at flashforwardpod.com. For instructions on how to do that, you can go to our website and there will be a link right on the homepage. Let's hear what some people thought about last week's episode about tracking ourselves. 
Hi, Rose. My name is Andrea, and I wanted to offer a different perspective in response to your recent podcast episode on personal health data. Uh, While I agree that it's easy for personal data measurements like the ones you talked about in the podcast to sort of spiral out of control and become meaningless, I also wanted to point out that there are many people like myself who are living longer, healthier lives because we have access to a constant data about our health. Um, I have type 1 diabetes, and I have to administer daily insulin in order to stay alive. Administering insulin is very difficult. It's an imperfect science. Uh, I can experience extremely low blood sugar, which causes an immediate medical emergency. And I can also experience very high blood sugar that shaves off, shaves years off my life each time it happens. It's this constant delicate balancing act that is very difficult to achieve. However, thanks to a little device, a Dexcom continuous glucose monitor, which is also referred to as a CGM, I now have a constant stream of data that shows me exactly what my blood sugar is doing and how I can adjust things like insulin, food, exercise, and many other variables in order to keep my blood sugar at a healthy level. While this constant stream of data can be overwhelming at times, I feel so incredibly fortunate to have access to this device, uh, one that wasn't even available until very recently. Uh, My CGM makes doing simple things like getting behind the wheel of a car or being alone with my daughter far safer. And it's also likely adding years of good health to my life because it makes it easier to keep my blood sugar at a healthy level, meaning fewer risks of complications and an early death. The only downside is that because of cost, not every diabetic can gain access to this technology, but the data it generates is truly life-saving. So I wanted to share an instance where the detailed tracking of certain health data can make someone's life so much better. I can't even describe how much better my life is because of my CGM. Thanks. This is something that I should have talked about last week and I didn't. So I'm really glad that Andrea called in to mention it. Okay, here's another voice memo we got about tracking that I thought was really interesting. Hi, Rose. This is Bethany Brookshire, aka Curious. I loved your episode on My Everything Pal, and it made me think. We live right now in a world where you can only track what you want to track. You aren't forced to track your calorie intake or exercise or heartbeat. And that means that right now, we are in a spot where we can present the false image of perfection more easily than ever before. If you track it right, every day was a good exercise day. All your meals are nutritious and Instagram-worthy, all your sunsets are glorious, and all your life is perfect. Obviously, no one really lives this way, but from all we see of our friends on Facebook and Instagram and MyFitnessPal, you might think so. It's easy to start comparing yourself to other people's seemingly perfect lives, and some studies have shown that this can contribute to self-esteem and depression problems. So one advantage, if we all tracked everything, we'd know just how imperfect we really are. And when we compared ourselves, we'd have to compare realities and not the images of perfection. We would see that the perfect plates of salad are followed by frozen chicken nuggets and that some days we don't get our 10,000 steps in. It might be good if we lived in a world where we were forced to compare realities. I love that, and I think that she's probably right. Okay, that's all for this week. Tell us what you think, and I might feature you at the end of the show just like this. Flash Forward is produced by me, Rose Eveleth, and is part of the Boing Boing podcast family. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music is by Broke for Free. The episode art is by Matt Lubchansky. If you want to suggest a future we should take on, send us a note on Twitter or Facebook or by email at info at flashforwardpod.com. Or you can tell us via a voicemail or a voice memo, like I mentioned earlier. I love hearing your ideas. You're sending really good ones, and I'm really excited to tackle some of the futures that you've sent, so keep sending them. And if you think you've spotted one of the little references that I've hidden in this episode, email us there too. If you're right, I will send you something cool. 
And if you want to support the show, there are a few ways you can do that as well. We have a Patreon page, which you heard about earlier, but if that's not in the cards for you, you can head to iTunes and leave us a nice review or just tell your friends about us. Those things really do help. That's all for this future. Come back next week and we'll travel to a new one.